This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello and welcome to Anatomy of Us, a show dedicated to bringing real help to real couples. I'm your host, Melanie Studley. What's up, guys? My name is Seth Studley. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, and together we are high-performance marriage coaches. We are cutting through the bullcrap and creating a movement of happy, healthy, badass couples all over the world. Let's go! What's up, guys? You guys are going to love the show. We interviewed the money guru, Ramit Sethi, uh, the author of I Will Teach You to Be Rich, the New York Times bestseller, by the way. No guilt, no excuses, no BS, just a six-week program that works. Ramit is awesome. I read his book a few months back, and one of the things that we love so much about this episode that you're about to listen to is that we talk about family of origin and money a ton. So get ready, put your seatbelts on, (laughs) buckle in. You're going to love it. Let's go. What's up, you guys? We are super duper excited to have Ramit Sethi here today, a New York Times bestseller of I Will Teach You To Be Rich. So what's up, my friend? How's it going? It's going great. Thank you for having me. Wonderful. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, If our listeners have not heard about your work, I know you've been around since the early 2000s, but uh, just give us a quick introduction there. I think when most people think about money, they think some guy's going to come on in an ill-fitting suit and pull out his finger and start lecturing everyone about why you shouldn't buy lattes and you should never go on vacation until you're 96 years old. I said, that's not the kind of life I want to live. Okay. I like to travel. I love nice hotels. I love a beautiful cashmere sweater. My philosophy is to spend extravagantly on the things you love, as long as you cut costs mercilessly on the things you don't. And I incorporate automation so that you don't have to spend a ton of time. I spend less than one hour per month on my finances. I also incorporate a lot of psychology, which is what I studied. And I find that money psychology is underrated and we overvalue complicated math. Today, we're not gonna talk about any complicated PE ratios, none of that. But I hope we get a chance to talk about couples and money because it is... The, one of the top concerns for couples, mm-hmm. most people do not really know how money works, but they have really strong opinions. And when they combine that with a partner who also doesn't know that much, but has really strong opinions, that is where conflict can arise. And that is where I am very excited to talk about some strategies, even some words you can use when you're talking to your partner to get on the same page. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Beautiful. So as we were talking kind of pre, pre-show, We talk a lot about family of origin systems like, okay, you, us, our listeners are actual products of the families, the cultural background, the locations, the history that we came from, right? And there is no chance in hell that we do not bring that into our current Mm -hmm. relationship. It's, It's just part of who you are, right? And we talk about everything from biology to psychology to spirituality to sexuality to, you know, how to parent. But what we haven't talked much about is money. Mm-hmm. And money is the one of the number one leading causes of divorce right, too. So right. I don't know where we've been or what we've been doing, but <laughs> we're so glad that that <laughs> you reached out and you're going to drop some wisdom on on our uh, people today. But first off, tell me, have you always been interested in money and the psychology of money and like how it's worked? I always felt like there were certain things in life that everyone else knew that I was absent the day they taught it. And I think back to when I was in high school and college, and there were just guys who had muscles. And I'm like, where'd they learn that? Where did they all learn how to deadlift? You know, I was busy studying spelling bees. That's what Indian kids were doing. And I was crushing it. But I did not know what the word protein meant until I was in my mid to late 20s. That's not a joke. We never used that word in my family. So, and in fact, if you look at some different cultures, going to the gym is actually not considered uh, something to praise. Mm -hmm. And that is really interesting. In America, everyone goes, "Ah, I should go to the gym. But my parents never 
said, you should go to the gym. No, instead, it's you should study. And that was great for me in terms of my academic career. It's been amazing. But I felt like I was absent the day that they taught that. And so for, if you're listening, you might feel that way about money. A lot of people go, how does everybody else know how to invest? How does everybody know the difference between a Roth IRA and a 401k? Am I the only person who doesn't know that? And so you take that ignorance, you take that guilt, you take that anxiety about money, and then multiply it by at least two when you get into a relationship. Mm -hmm. Because your partner probably feels that same way. And I say at least two, because it's not just one times one, it's you both bring a lifetime of experience and you focus it almost like a laser on every decision. Should we buy coffee or should we make it at home? Should we stay at this hotel or should we do that? Why do you think that we should save for our kids' college? They, they could save their way just like I did it too. And these are, these are things that are unaddressed for decades mm -hmm. in our relationship. Yeah. I yeah. want to add into that too that because uh, you just said it's not just one, it's not just like two, it's like a lifetime of whatever, but sometimes it's actually like five because it's like- Wait a like, minute, is that a protein shake? <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. I, I'm actually drinking. That's not meant to be symbolic. I actually am drinking a protein shake right now. Wow, how far I've come. Yes, to funny. all the little Indian kids out there, you too can get your protein from a protein <laughs> shake. It's okay to supplement. It's fine. Uh, there you go. <laughs> I love it. But like oftentimes we'll have not just my opinion or his opinion. My parents will have an opinion. Go. My siblings might have an opinion. Mm -hmm. Our friends might have an opinion. And so it, when we're unaware or unsure of where we stand with finances, we have you know all this additional pressure pushing us in all these different ways, in different directions, right? And so I have like loads of thoughts about that because mm -hmm. it really isn't like a one-to-one -one ratio. And sometimes it's really unevenly weighted. Like if I have more family who has more financial investments than my spouse's family, all of a sudden it feels like my thoughts have more weight because I've got more family weight pushing against it. So I don't know. I think that's like a really mm -hmm. fascinating thing to look at. But I want to ask you right out of the gate, some of the things that family of origin teaches us about money. And I was re I read your book months ago and I was re-listening to the intro and talking about this idea of like, well, uh, what is it? You said a bunch of really like killer things right at the beginning, like money doesn't grow on trees or you can, uh, yeah. you can have, you can have money and what well, fun, mm -hmm. but you can't have both. Like give us more of those like yeah. things that we believe. Mm -hmm. I speak to couples on my podcast and they'll typically come to me with a very specific question. Like my wife spends too much at Target. This is a really common one. And I, I frankly find it to be a little sexist because you almost never hear someone saying, my husband spends too much at Target, but whatever. Um, you know, he or she doesn't want to pay for our kids' college or will we have enough to retire, et cetera. Some very acute thing. And they really believe that it's about Target, but it never is. And so what I'll ask them, you know, I, I want to hear about the Target fight that they had a week ago, but I'll ask one of them, you know, how'd you grow up with money? And they go, what do you mean? I go, what phrases do you remember your family saying at home? And invariably, they will say, we can't afford it. They heard their parents saying that. Money doesn't grow on trees. Mm -hmm. And other assorted phrases mm -hmm. that I name in chapter one of my book. Mm -hmm. Now, think about it. If you're a parent, you say we can't afford it. You probably say it over a thousand times while your kids are growing up. And guess what happens to those kids? They end up coming on my show and saying, Ramit, I saved $480,000 or $4.8 million. Why do I still feel guilty about getting an extra large Coke when I go out to eat? And I would challenge every parent, stop saying that phrase, we can't afford it because it has long lasting, almost generational effects on your children and grandchildren and great grandchildren. What if instead, you know, your kid goes, I wanna buy this Xbox. You go, okay, let's talk about it. How much does it cost? Well, if we were to buy that, we wouldn't be able to pay for dinner or pay for that trip to Disneyland. Or right now, that's just not a priority for this family. This is an amazing teachable opportunity, mm -hmm. but to say we can't afford it, it's, it, it may be true, but it has long lasting effects that I hate to see on the back end.
Mm-hmm. That that makes me think of Robert Kiyosaki. Uh, you know, he, he doesn't say, or he didn't grow up saying, Rich Dad didn't say, <clears throat> we can't afford it. He asked, how can we mm-hmm. afford it? So just like the Xbox, you know, our kid comes and, you know, hey, uh, Dad, I want to get an Xbox. Okay, how can we afford that? How can, well, our kids are in their teen years, so I'm pointing it back to them. What do you need to do to save up $400, mm-hmm. to get an Xbox? Okay, yeah, there you go. And you can even sweeten the deal. Okay, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll match, I don't know, or a quarter of it or, or something, something like that, right? So you're teaching them how, the, how can they afford it, not the poverty mindsets, which mm-hmm. a lot of us grow up with, which, again, starts from childhood and continues to go on. And I know that you talk a lot of peop- to a lot of people about undoing the poverty mindset or not even undoing it, but bringing light to it. Like my job as a therapist is to like shine light on things that people haven't haven't even thought about it but they're suffering the consequences yeah. of that so it's really changing the language around that mm-hmm. that's right many of us believe that we are rational and logical and therefore we go to the store and almost like we have excel in front of us we're making <laughs> calculations and we're buying this i go you really think that's why you bought tide you bought <laughs> tide cuz your mom bought tide and she bought tide because her mom or dad bought tide And it's okay to admit that our purchase decisions, in fact, a lot of our decisions Mm -hmm. are decided before we're even born. Mm -hmm. Just think of it. Everybody listening, look around your room. Look at what you are wearing. Are you probably wearing similar clothes as your neighbor and friends wear? If you live in in San Francisco, you're probably wearing one of those horrible vests. I know I used to live there. Stop wearing those vests and stop wearing those Crocs as well. If you live in New York, you're probably wearing a long coat, et cetera. That's not just because of the weather. That's also determined by what people around you are wearing. Mm -hmm. Who are you attracted to is also socially constructed. And of course, where you spend your money. Now, I want to share this thing that just happened a few days ago. I was visiting family. My 10-year-old nephew, he said to me, Ramit Mama. Mama means uh, uncle. He said, Ramit Mama. I said, what, what, do you, uh, what do you like to spend money on? And he told me he wants to buy a Rolex. Okay, he's 10 years old. I said, wow, a Rolex? Really? What kind? So we pull up the Rolex website and he, he goes, click on configurator. He's clearly done this before. He shows me the thing and it's $29,000. Okay. My reaction was, that's awesome. Let me show you how you can start investing right now so you can easily buy that Rolex. And he listened, and I explained it at a level that he could understand. So then I went on Twitter and I posted it. And what I said was, this is how family knowledge is transmitted. Mm -hmm. How many of us grew up with an uncle who could explain compound interest to us? Probably not very many of us, okay? In his case, he has a huge leg up. He has a huge advantage because he's learning this stuff at 10 years old. He's learning, even though he may not open a custodial Roth IRA, he's learning that, oh, a Rolex could be within my realm of possibility. It's real. It's not foolish. And so when I posted this on Twitter, the reactions were so interesting. A lot of people said, oh, that's great. I wish someone had taught me that. But some reactions were different. One person said, I hope that you taught him that's a waste of money. Mm. And I thought to myself, how interesting. Because a 10-year-old comes to you with something they want to buy. You really face a choice. You can get excited and you can say, let's talk about how you would afford that. Let's talk about the trade-offs. Let's talk about how much time it would take. Or you can say, that's just a status symbol. Stop Mm. it. You shouldn't want what you want. Mm. Which one do you think is going to get that 10-year-old excited about money for the rest of their life? Right. Obviously the former. Yeah. 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 Right there. That single moment potentially can change the trajectory of that 10-year-old's relationship with money for the rest of their life. Mm -hmm. And remember, no parent is trying to be a bad parent. Mm -hmm. In fact, the, the mother who wrote to me saying that said, I want to teach my children that money is, you know, you can find joy in sustainability and you don't need to have status to show off. That's a great lesson. I love that lesson. 
But I also love taking someone who's excited about something. Mm -hmm. It could be charity. It could be a thousand dollar cashmere jacket. It could be whatever, a 10 year old wanting a Rolex. And I get excited, which means they get excited. And then we talk about how to make it happen. Two profoundly different approaches to money in your family. Which one do you want to be? Right. And and I think that the, the way that you help in, in this case the the your nephew to get excited, you, you I didn't hear you say, Okay, well, you gotta hustle and grind and you know, work, you know, right. twenty hours a day and like run over all these people and you get yours kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You didn't say that, which obviously that's a way to do it. Um and 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 that's a, a lot of people on I know that you rail against people on Twitter and TikTok and stuff, which I love. Uh that is what a lot of people are saying, but this sounds like Oh, this is the slower, the wise, the sustainable, the consistent approach mm-hmm. that will help you and, oh, yeah, help others along the way, too. Yeah. Well, one, one of the invisible scripts that we grow up with, an invisible script is a mm-hmm. phrase or a belief that is so deeply embedded in us mm-hmm. that it is invisible to us. So if you heard we can't afford it 10,000 times growing up, you're probably going to look at everything saying we can't afford it. We also have positive invisibles. I grew up with one saying uh, education, you should spend more time and money on education. That is probably a generally a pretty positive invisible script. But there's all kinds of invisible scripts. Like in America, you have to buy a house to be successful. That's not true. And that's a whole myth. We could talk about that. The point is we have a lot of invisible scripts. You want to think about the invisible scripts you are passing along to your kids and the invisible scripts that you and your partner are dealing with. Um, And sometimes it's just like sitting down and having a conversation saying, what do you remember hearing about money as a child? What do you believe about money today? And that's where you might discover, a lot of people say, um, I think if you make a lot of money, if you become rich, you have to be an asshole. Mm -hmm. And that is a common invisible script in this culture. Why? Because whenever you see rich people on TV or frankly, these days in the media, they're assholes. Right. I go, how hard is it to be nice when you're rich? Fucking rich. <laughs> anyway, I, so it's not that hard. Tip a lot, give money to charity. Go ahead, buy the nice house. I got no problem. Drive a beautiful car. You want to get a Bentley? Be my guest. It's not that hard. However, whatever. There's a lot of political things going on these days. Uh, but I'll tell you what. If deep down you believe that in order to be financially successful, you have to step on other people and you have to take from other people, then you are probably not going to be financially successful. And so in my work, I try to show examples of how I can be financially successful and still be very generous and charitable and all those things and how you can do it too. Uh, but we have to be able to interrogate our invisible scripts in order to go past them mm-hmm. with our money. Right. And so invisible scripts, that comes from family of origin. And also in family of origin, we talk about like the rubber fence, like the prescribed thing. Oh, mom did it this way. So you do it that way. And then I'm going to look for a wife that does it that way. And what we're not doing is taking a calculated uh, growth mindset approach on it because, oh, well, this is how dad did money. This is how mom did money. They never had it. So mm, I guess um, I guess I'm not gonna. And then if I do get successful, going back to family of origin, oh, well, who the hell do you think you are? Must mm-hmm. be nice kind of mm-hmm. thing. Oh, so you have to, you yeah, have to you nailed that, it. Yeah. Right? And you have to battle that too. So can you give some advice on, on that with people struggling in this way? I spoke to a couple that is based in Kansas and they grew up not very, they were lower middle class, perhaps middle class. Although you have to take everything with a grain of salt because everybody in America says they're middle class. They go, well, I'm like, I would say I'm middle class. I go, you got $6 million in the bank. You're not middle class, whatever. So uh, the, the husband, he grew up in a town where literally on the other side of the park, there were the doctors and the lawyers' houses. And he was not on that side of the tracks, okay? He and his wife have done very well. They live in a low cost of living area. They make around $130,000. They save, they're doing well. And yet they could not spend on the things they love. They found themselves torn. And it came to a head when one day their daughter came home from school. She was young, maybe five or so. And 
she had been given uh, like a food basket that they give children who don't have enough money. Hmm. And this was a fascinating moment because the mom laughed. Oh my gosh, like they think that she's poor. That's so funny. And the dad was horrified, horrified. Like it really bothered him. And so I honed in on that. I said, why are you reacting this way? And he didn't know. He just said, we're not poor. We're not poor. And yet, and, and you know, we, we relate it back to his childhood. He finally recognized the connection that he did not want to be on that side of the tracks. He did not want to be thought of as poor. But I asked him, when you talk to your daughter about money, what do you say? And he said, why would I talk to my daughter about money? Mm. And I said, tell me more. He said, well, I'm, I don't want to talk to her about money. I want to protect her from that. She's just a little girl. And I said, keep going. What do you see money as? And what he sees money as is pain and problems. Mm. And therefore, by not talking about money with his young daughter, he protects her from it. Now, I asked him, look at me. Do you think I see money as pain and problems? He said, no. I said, what do I see it as? Possibility, adventure, growth, all those things. I said, yeah. When he was a kid, in his family of origin, they didn't talk about money, a very Midwestern thing. He has now carried that on, but he's now turned the page in his relationship with his wife. They've turned that page. They're a new chapter. They are doing financially very well, but at home, they either don't talk about it or the mom will say we can't afford that. And when you keep saying we can't afford that and your daughter goes to school and her teacher says, how is it going at home? And what does she say? We can't afford that. They give her the food basket. Right. right. So the words we use are important, but even more important are the beliefs that we bring mm -hmm. from our family of origin, how we grew up and to be able to acknowledge, Hey, I did grow up. My parents did the best they could, but we have different opportunities. And it's our obligation to turn the page and to design our rich life mm -hmm. for us. That mm -hmm. is the challenge. And that's what gives me a lot of joy to help these couples do it. Yeah. I love that you said design yeah. that. In fact, I was listening to one of your shows this morning and I've heard this phrase before, but the concept of our future self really depends on our current self. So we can create our future not only around money, but of, of course, other things. So we have to examine what actually do I think about money? What do I believe about money? Is it good? Is it bad? If I make a ton, am I a certain way? If I make not a ton, do people judge me a certain way? Yeah. Am I, do I, you know, as a, as, a, as, a, um, as a dad, as a family man, you know, am I some sort of way if I don't make a lot? Am I some sort of way if I do make a lot? So talk a little bit about like, the, the growth mindset around money? Because a lot of this is talking, you know, fixed mindset versus growth mindset. So how can we continue to cultivate a growth mindset around money? And then we can get into some practical tips. Right. Can I ask that. an additional, I want to ask one additional. So as we talk about this growth mindset idea, like how can we do that? I want you to explain to people also how it feels when you're doing that. You know what I mean? Like Ooh. when you're taking, because that's, I think what's typically missing is like when it starts to feel <laughs> awkward or weird or scary people go oh it must not be doing it right yeah. mm. so if you can add that in that'd be awesome like Let's when you spend a bunch that. of money because on I, something yeah, yeah. yeah no, I, 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 I love this this question about how should it feel mm -hmm. feelings are so often missing when we talk about money mm -hmm. and that is why when you hear couples talking about, about money they go oh we really should get a budget i go really when was the last time you tried a budget it's like 1968 and how long did that last? It lasted for three days. I go, right. let's just be honest. You're not going to keep a budget. I don't even keep a budget, okay? And I have a best-selling book on this. There's a different way to do it. But first, we always start with feelings. Mm -hmm. So for example, if you do a monthly rich life review, that's what I encourage couples to do. It's one hour. And you always start off by saying something you appreciate about the other person. Um, you know, babe, I really appreciate the way that you handle our travel. You always find a great flight for our family to visit grandparents. And I just never have to worry about anything. I appreciate you. Just think of how it feels to start talking about money out of gratefulness, out of appreciation, even excitement 
versus the way that we usually do it, which is reactive and negative. Why did you spend that much? How could you do that? So I love the feeling of being able to just take a second and go, here's what I appreciated about you. Here's what I'm excited for in the next three months with you. It's a beautiful feeling. If you do this, if you do a rich life review, like I talk about on my podcast, you're also going to feel something else. You're going to feel awkward. Now in America, the feeling that we most want to avoid is awkwardness, feeling embarrassed. We will do anything. You know what I think is weird? It's not having a slightly scripted conversation. I think it's weird to go 40 years of your life tiptoeing around your life partner, not willing to learn a few different skills about money. You think I care if it's weird? No, it's weird to not do this. It's weird to pretend that you know about money when none of us were formally taught this. And uh, by the way, all the people who, you know, they, they complain about their partner. And by the time people turn 40, money becomes their number one concern. It's funny though. They complain about money. They agonize over money. They fight over money. But you know what they don't do? They've never read a single book about money. So think about that. There's a huge misalignment and a huge opportunity. Because if you want to get confident with money, you have to get competent. Mm-hmm. That means you need to know the basic language. It's like if I want to drive a car, I got to know how to turn it on. I got to know how to reverse. Basic competent stuff. I don't need to be a mechanic. I need to know the basics. If you want to have positive conversations where at the end of that conversation with your partner, you look each other eye, you say, I love you, mm-hmm. which in my mind, I consider a very positive money conversation, then you have to know basic terms like savings rate, uh, compound interest. What is a Roth IRA? And these aren't hard. They're presented very simply in my book, but you got to know them. And that way, when you start to know that competence, you can start to feel really confident and good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that. And one of the things that I think of, I remember years ago when I, I used to say things like, oh, well, Seth does that. I don't really do that. I don't need to learn those things. And so then when, it, when, when I realized, oh, I actually probably should be knowing, I should know these things because I'm putting all of our, like in a, not in an unkind way, but I'm putting all of our, my financial future, our financial future into Seth's hands. And one, trusting that he knows all the things he should know, uh, but two, also not helping him. I'm not helping mm. him at all. If I am uneducated in this, I'm not helping him. So one of the things that I will suggest, if you're the partner that has decided that you don't quote do finances, take some time and start listening to your show. Start listening and reading audiobooks that like how like don't read a real book, just only listen to an audiobook. <laughs> but like get these words into your brain in a way that makes sense to you, and you don't have to. I don't know. I think that so many people, if they're the one who has not done the finances or they've thought, oh, well, my husband will take care of that because that's what my dad did in my family. My mom didn't know any of these things. You need to start stepping into that space, but don't look at your spouse as the educator for you. Begin Mm -hmm. getting that education on your own um, because you may learn something that they don't know and be able to add like generatively to the conversation versus just feeling. and, And there's, I don't know, there's such a weird dynamic that can happen in a marriage when it comes to money because all of a sudden it becomes an unequal playing field. If you've not learned anything and one spouse holds all of the information, all of the, you know, like the keys to the financial, whatever, you're accidentally creating this imbalance that makes one person feel hyper responsible. Like, like the one who doesn't do the finances, you couldn't possibly know how stressed out I am about this because you don't do anything Mm -hmm. while this other person feels like, well, I guess I'm an idiot. I guess I don't, I guess they're right. And so like, I don't know. I just want to encourage people. If you're the one who doesn't do the finances or think you're not smart enough or whatever, just start listening to like, read these books, start hearing the words over and over and over again. Cause I think it does seem so huge and complicated at the outset because we go, Oh, well stock market, we go from like zero to stock market. And like, yeah. you know, like, no, that's not, no, there's a lot to learn. First, and, yeah. Right? yeah. Just look at your bank account. <laughs> so uh, I, I love your encouragement that each partner should be a financial partner as well. We should remember that it's only recently in history that marriages were love marriages. They were typically family or economic rationale. I mean, my parents had an arranged marriage. They knew each other for seven days before. That's how recently we're talking about here. Mm -hmm. In a 
financial and marital partnership, which is what it is, you want to be partners. Now, that doesn't mean that each of you have to be doing exactly what the other person does, but I want to share a slight uh, different way of thinking about money in a couple. You know, in a couple, uh, every couple has you know, one person who ends up being the person who loads the dishwasher and the other person takes out the trash and, and mows the lawn, whatever. That's fine. No problem. We, we all have our comparative advantages, but money is unlike mowing the lawn because money cuts across everything. Money affects where you live. It affects how you raise children if you have children. It even affects who you are as an identity. Are we generous? Are we cheap? Are we independent? It's much closer to parenting than it is to mowing the lawn. You would almost never hear a couple these days saying, oh yeah, he's responsible for the parenting or she's responsible for the parenting. I don't do that. We don't hear that. And yet we hear that with money. When I got married, it would have been very easy for me to be the money guy. Mm -hmm. Okay. I made more money. I have more knowledge about money because it's what I do for a living. It would have been super easy for me to just say to my wife, like, let, let me do this. I'll take right. this. And you know, you do that. And I insisted that we both tackle it. And I told my wife why. I think it's really important to have these deep conversations about why. I said, look, number one, I'm not going to be here forever. One day, I'm not going to be here. Hit by a truck, die of old age, whatever. I don't find it morbid to talk about death. We're all going to die. Mm -hmm. I don't want to leave you defenseless, okay? Number two, I want you to be a good steward of our money. So that means if I'm not here, you know what to do with it. You're not prey for Wall Street. That's a very common thing, by the way, especially for older women now whose partners have died. Wall Street swoops in, preys on them, takes their money. Three, I want a partnership. All right. I want us to talk about that. It's, more, it's I, I can't do this on my own. And four, it's just more fun because we get to dream together. And so for everyone, is it hard? Yeah, it's a lot harder. It would have been way easier for me to just do this on my own. Way easier. Could have done it my way. Ramit's cool systems. Oh my God, it's so efficient. It would have been awesome for me, but not for us. Right. And that is why whether you are the higher earner, the lower earner, whether you are the primary this or that, both of you talk about it. Uh, and, and I would highly encourage couples to be conversant in the basics of not just, you know, who's buying groceries. Mm -hmm. That's table stakes. That's not where wealth is created. It's investments. It's deciding on your rich life. That is where the real wealth and the real rich life is truly designed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Something that I want to comment on in regards to that is that we have discovered recently in the maybe the last two years or so, that we, we thought like the model of, you know, what my family has done or whatever, like our family of origin models, we were like, well, those are pretty sound. Like we, yeah, we'll just financially kind of do what we saw, right? We'll invest okay. in the right things. We'll get the house. We'll do all the things. Yeah. Which blah, is blah, blah. It really centered around real estate. You get a yeah, house. Like you, you it's like, it it's centered years, around, yeah. like you don't travel. You put your money on the land. Hold that on. You can live. I guess? Hold on. Before you go on, can I just guess? First of all, where did you both grow up? I grew up outside of Seattle, outside of the Seattle area. Okay. And I grew up in South Carolina. That's where I'm from. Okay. Uh, and did both of you have two parents at home? Mm -hmm. Yep. Wow. Okay. So, uh, well, you, I already know you were both middle class, whether or not you were. You <laughs> yeah. both describe yourself as middle class, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So let me guess. Um, this is life. You um, study, maybe, probably go to college. Um, Get married in your 20s, buy a house because you don't want to throw money away on rent, uh, have two children, uh, once a year, you know, Disneyland type thing. Um, what else? Uh, retire in Florida <laughs> and uh, get leathery skin and die. Did I, did I get it right? <laughs> Pretty much. Close. What am I missing? Close. Oh, the car, the car. Okay. Um, uh, oh, this is tricky because it's Seattle and South Carolina. Uh, is there a Ford somewhere in the family here? Ford Focus, maybe? I w uh, listen. Please no, tell a me Ford, it's not a, a Ford Flex is what I wanted. 
What okay. I have is a Chrysler Town and Country Stow and Go because it has the seats folded to the floor. Yeah, that's a good. It's practical. Okay, that's a good it's practical. That's me. No, no, eighty thousand dollar trucks or no. anything like that. I have a, okay. I have a Toyota. Uh, but I like your car choices. Yeah, they're good. They're uh, good. Uh, close. I mean, but, you're you're so close on so many things. It's kind of stupid. But we're say we say f all that. Well, not f. We don't it, want. But. I mean, okay, yes, saving money, sure, that's good. We want to be, you know, good stewards. We're not saying F that. We're saying, wait a minute. I am not going to retire in Florida. I am yeah. not going to go to Disneyland. I'm going to go to Tulum for a month. Mm. And then after that, go down to Argentina or whatever. Or we're going right? to take our kids and to Europe and do, and, yeah. you know, like that's where the question that I was starting out with is, it's been such a weird journey for us to realize, like we followed the plan. We followed the script. We did what we thought we were supposed to do based on all of the wisdom from our parents and grandparents. And you get land and investments, the only, or in properties, the best investment and it's the return and the blah and all this stuff. And then we look back and we're like, well, we're not doing almost any of the things we want to do. Mm -hmm. right. Like, I don't want to wait. I don't want to have one vacation a year. I don't only want to go to Charleston every summer because that's the only thing we can afford. And so I want to talk about what it takes to actually, we are consciously, intentionally, purposefully choosing to go against the grain of our financial family of origin. And it feels like the worst. What do you it's do really hard. then? Yeah. Well, it's really hard. And um, first of all, it's a skill. It's a skill to make decisions that are different than the expectations of those you love. Mm. I started making different decisions in high school when the stakes were low. I worked at a different kind of company. I chose a different type of major. Those stakes were low, although it felt very big to me at the time. But because I built the muscle of making different decisions, it became easier over time. So let's talk about, regardless of what age you are, where you are in life, let's say you're in a couple, and, you know, end of the year is such an awesome time to take stock of your life. I always encourage couples to do an annual rich life review. Mm -hmm. And for this, I encourage you to go somewhere different than you normally are. It could be a staycation, uh, one town over. It could be you're with family, visiting the grandparents. You say, would you mind watching the kids for four hours? We're going to go to a national park and go for a walk. Whatever. My wife and I, we take a very long trip at the end of every year where we are in a different place, walking around in a different city. And we just talk about what worked last year. What did we like? What did we want to change? Where do we want to go? Who do we want to bring with us? Do we want to donate more? Those kind of th the big questions in life. Mm -hmm. um, kids, uh, where do we live? All that stuff. I would encourage you, if this is the first time you're thinking about doing something different, the first step is just to take stock of where you are. How do we feel about where we are in life? And it's super non-judgmental. It's just asking your partner, what do you think about where we are? Uh, and, and, you know, you come up with these basic categories. Um, what's going great with where we live? What do you love? Oh, I love that we have this backyard and the dog can go out and play. What would you change? Well, it kind of sucks that we have to get in a car and drive everywhere. It sure would be nice if we had a walkable area. Okay, cool. Let's just write it down. No judgment. Cool. Uh, what would be exciting to you next year? If we did just these things, what would be exciting? And we write it down. This is where most people stop. They don't even want to have this conversation because, number one, they have never thought about talking like this. It feels weird. It mm -hmm. feels judgmental to ask your partner, what do you not like? Sometimes we're too worried about what our partner will tell us. Mm -hmm. But in a deep, intimate relationship, these are questions we're going to have to confront one way or another. It's just your choice. Do you want to ask it or do you want to wait for it to be told to you? Mm. And so the first step would be to take stock. Next step would be to pick something like training wheels that you can do differently. You know what? Maybe instead of spending seven days in Charleston, we're going to spend three, but we're going to spend four on our own in uh, New York. Well, okay, now this is where we map it out. We go, well, what are our parents going to say? Well, they're not going to be happy. They're going to throw the guilt trip out. Listen, I'm an Indian kid. I'm a master at being guilt tripped. So I already know all the guilt trip that's going to come my way. And you talk it out. You go, how are we going to react? Who's going to be the one? What are they going to say? Well, what happens if they say this? This is how we're going to react as a unit. And what you realize is it's not really about Charleston. It's about those training wheels to make one small change for your rich life 
Because once you do that, that's going to enable you to do the bigger things. Gosh, maybe we want to go to Tulum. Maybe we want to travel for two years with our children. Maybe we don't want to buy a house. And suddenly your rich life becomes yours, not the people around you and their random opinions. <laughs> that's a really good way to say it. Yeah. I love that. Um, I would love for you to run through more of what that, like doing the rich life program or conversations or however, whatever way you say that I'm not saying it the right yeah. way, but like, tell me what that looks like and what couples would need. Like I want couples to go and do this. Okay. So I let's want you let's to, talk about it. Yeah. Give us a taste so, of what that's like. Let me give you some exercises right now. And then a fun way to do this is you can use, I created a journal the I will teach you to be rich journal and you just go through it. And if you have a partner, get two and you fill it out and then you come together and you know, there's really provocative questions in there. Like who do we admire when it comes to spending money and who do we not admire? Uh, if we could do anything differently with our money in the next three months, what would it be? Like very provocative questions that will get you thinking in a way you never have. Mm -hmm. Here's what I would encourage you to do tonight. You can do this with your partner. You don't need any tools except a pen and a piece of paper. We've all heard of a bucket list. It's those things we want to do before we die. I'm going to modify this bucket list exercise and do the rich life bucket list. So my wife and I sat down together. We had two pieces of paper and I said to her, in the next 10 years, what are the things that we want to do where if we did them, it would have been a rich life? write down whatever comes to mind. It can be for you, just you. It can be for us. It can be whatever. So she wrote hers down. I wrote mine down. And then we compared it. We did one shared, then the other shared. Let me tell you how it went. So, you know, one of us said, uh, I want to learn Spanish. And the other person, their job is to get curious. Go, Spanish? Wow. Why Spanish? What do you think? Would you go to a classroom? Would you want to go to Mexico City? What do you think it? You're getting curious. Again, most couples never do this. They go, Spanish, that sounds so stupid. <laughs> I'm going to kill you right now. That's not how you do this exercise. So you get curious. Okay. Then another person said, uh, I want to go uh, skydiving. And the other person was like, well, that sounds cool. Maybe not for me. You're going to do that one, but I'll be waiting at the bottom with a cocktail. Okay. Again, have a little fun. Make it a little joke. Have, have a good time. So we go through these and some of hers were just for her. Some of mine were just for me. Like, for example, I want to write a book in a hotel. I love beautiful hotels. I love being taken care of. I just, I have a vision of where I want to write a book. That's not her thing. That's mine. Mm -hmm. So what we did then was we went through this list of roughly 10, 15 items, and we picked out a couple that were meaningful for us, both of us together. For us, one of them was a 10-year wedding anniversary. Now, we were inspired uh, because we have some friends who had a very nice wedding abroad for their 10-year anniversary, a 10-year anniversary like renewal. We're like, what? Who does that? But then we got inspired. We go, what if we did that? Mm -hmm. So we said, okay, that's what we want to do. So now we have a dream. Okay, we know the exact location. We know all the family and friends that we want to bring with us. And now you got to go one step further than just dreaming. I love dreaming, but I, I don't, these life coaches who come on and go, woo, woo, woo. I go, not for me. I want to plan. I said, let's talk numbers. This is how I talk to my wife. Let's talk numbers. So we both went back to our piece of paper. And I said, try to estimate how much this wedding anniversary will cost us. Again, if you are doing this exercise, it doesn't have to be a wedding anniversary. It could be a trip to Italy. It could be whatever is the special thing that in the next 10 years you want to do. Mm -hmm. So both of us came back with our numbers like two minutes later. We're not, we're just back of the napkin, you know, okay, flights are going to cost this hotels that. And the mm -hmm. funny thing was my number was way bigger than hers. Okay. Hmm. And I said, okay, if we have two numbers, <laughs> Let's go with the higher one. Why? Because we have, at that time, I think we had eight years to save and invest. That's a long time. And I know how compounding works. And second, even if we get 75% of the way there, fantastic. Mm -hmm. So let's just pretend that it was eight years away. And let's, uh, I don't want to do the math right now, but let's just pretend it was 
$1,000 and let's also pretend they're only 10 months in a year. We would have to save eight, uh, $1,000 per month. Mm -hmm. Okay, now we can talk about that. So we came up with a number, we put it into our conscious spending plan, which we review every single month and every single month, like a video game, it's like, oh, you're like 3% closer or 2% closer. Mm -hmm. And we're just like, we know that we are going to have this anniversary, which is meaningful to us. It's just a matter of time. So if you are listening, actually, I'm curious, what do you take away from that if you were to do that exercise with the two of you? Immediately, I take away the positive shared experience, mm. right? So uh, we talk about this with our clients too. Okay, we have to have more positive shared experiences. So, okay, we're on the same page with, first of all, the idea of a 10-year whatever. Mm -hmm. Secondly, we're talking openly about money. Thirdly, we have goals like, okay, now we're getting into the minutia of it. Mm -hmm. We need 500 a month for X amount of months or 100 a month. Okay, how can we do that? Boom, agreed. Mm -hmm. And then, oh, guess what? Meanwhile, we're talking about kick-ass places. Hey, when we're in Fiji, yeah. let's go scuba diving on a That's bottomless boat awesome. thing or whatever, you know? And then <laughs> bottomless boat. Well, I guess that wouldn't work, would it? That would, that would sink. <laughs> that was you, funny. You know what I mean? So the 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 shared experience, the the camaraderie, the like mm -hmm. building. Uh, I mean, if people don't think that's good for a marriage, you got right. another thing coming because that is. Yeah. So yeah. I want to hear what yours is. I immediately think of the. Um, the sort of like energy that's so, it's so positive. It's so inviting. And the curiosity mm -hmm. element, the, the not like, well, Spanish is dumb. That's dumb. Like the, oh, tell me more. Like that immediately I can see how the trickle down effect of just loving curiosity and sort of like creating something together would have a massive impact on a many, 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 many things. Beautiful takeaways. Exactly what I hoped that, that couples take away. And I, I, I'm, thankful for you identifying those things because now your listeners can hear those mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. When I think about an exercise like this, I think about the beauty of co-creating something together. Mm -hmm. And I think that it can be big, like a 10-year wedding anniversary, but it can also be small, like um, we're going to eat at this one restaurant mm -hmm. in November. Mm -hmm. And it's going to take us a few months to save for it. But gosh, I have had my eye on this restaurant for the two of us for the last two years, and now we're actually going to get to do it. Wow. I love the feeling of connecting money to your rich life. Mm -hmm. I think that for most of us, money is a negative concept. It is something that we only talk about when we fight. It's something that we are only reacting to. We almost always play defense instead of going on offense. Mm. And so what I want to do is I want to encourage people to go on offense. And the way to do that, especially at first, is to do something really fun. Mm. Notice that this first exercise is not about how to optimize your 401k match max. We're not talking about that because that sucks. It's boring. Although you should do that later. All right. Chapter three and seven of my book. But it's something as simple as um, let's get a babysitter and go out to a great dinner. Let's uh, give our dog this cool dog party. Whatever is meaningful to you. It could be 200 bucks, but yes. it's something that you both did together and you get to look back and say, mm -hmm. we did that. And if mm -hmm. we did that for 200 bucks, gosh, what could we do for 2,000, 20,000, 200,000, or even more? Yes, mm -hmm. that, is, that is awesome. And the intentionality around that, like couples who are intentional around anything based, you know, working out, spirituality, money, have, you, have more success, right? I know you tapped my leg, but that's like, he said, I want to talk. And I want to be respectful I'm of your time. This, but I did you another. do your 10 year thing or has it happened yet? Or are you doing it yet? Oh, uh, we have not been married 10 years yet, but we know say, exactly where we are going. Will and you say it? Tell us no, what you're doing. Uh, no, I will not. It's just for <laughs> us. Um, it. But it, it is going to be stunning. We already know who we're inviting. We know oh, amazing. how, and, and each time we, you know, we're always like looking at travel stuff and, mm -hmm. and it gives us something to talk about. Like, oh, we should do that the night mm -hmm. before. Oh, we should take our friends to the Taj Mahal and like, let's stay a few extra days, those kind of things. So yeah. it makes it exciting. But I, I would say that what has added in richness, now that we've established that, it's basically on autopilot, okay? Mm -hmm. Now we talk about what we want to do 
every year, even what we want to do every quarter. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we want to travel every quarter. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want to see our family this many times. We want to see our friends. So it has allowed us to go bigger and to go smaller. And I love being able to go on a spectrum. It's just like, um, it's like anything important in life. You don't only operate at the biggest level. If you're an Olympic gymnast, you're not only waiting until the Olympics. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's like, how do I lace up my shoes correctly? Mm -hmm. And you want to be able to dial back to that really beautiful, minute moment. And then you want to be able to expand it to when the stakes are high. That is what being intentional with money allows you to do. Well, that, that. that sounds like what you've been talking about, a rich life. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, mm-hmm. a rich life full of amazing experience with, pe- with people I care about and yeah. love. And that, that is what being rich is to me. Mm-hmm. Sounds like what it is to you. Well, also. remember, everyone's rich life is different, which is what yeah. I love the most. So I have somebody who read my book. And he told me, Ramit, he read my book. They did all this stuff in it. They retired in their mid-30s. And they travel in an RV across the country. Okay. That sounds like hell to me. I, know. <laughs> I don't want to travel anywhere. And I don't want to travel one block in an RV, but I love that that is their rich life. Mm-hmm. Now, some people hear what my rich life is. They go, I don't want to do that. Right. Mm-hmm. I lived in New York city, et cetera. Not for them. Totally cool. Your rich life is yours. Mm-hmm. It's not your parents. It's not your friends. It's yours. And so for example, I do a lot of things that are unconventional with my money. I could go buy a house tomorrow. I don't. We rent a house. It's a better financial decision for us. A lot of people going, what'd that crazy guy just say? How can it be a better financial decision to rent? Well, I've made more money renting than owning, which is a very important invisible script to challenge. All right. So Mm -hmm. that's one. We travel. um, We don't spend money on certain things like our car is very old. We don't really care. It's not important to us. Um, we're not, you know, certain foods people spend a lot of money on. We don't. It's just not important to us. Fitness is. So the more I hear couples describe a rich life, the more it should become confusing or even bewildering to the outside world. Mm-hmm. And I'll give you an example. Uh, I encourage every couple and every person to create a list of 10 money rules. Now you can Google Ramit's money rules and you will see 10 of my money rules. These are rules I created for myself. And what they allow me to do is on any given day, we face like a hundred financial decisions. And in the course of our life, millions. Mm -hmm. I want to boil up all those decisions into roughly 10 money rules. So I'll give you a couple examples from my money rules. And remember, these are my rules, not yours. Yours will be different than mine. Mm-hmm. So a couple of them are strict financial ones. You know, it's save 10%, invest 20%. I like to have a year's worth of cash, those kind of things. I'm a little bit conservative on the financial side. Fine. But then they become a lot more fun. Mm-hmm. So one of them is any flight over four hours is business class. Now that's yes. for me. Mm-hmm. You may not be interested. You may not be able to afford that. But for me, that is meaningful. Another one is unlimited spending on appetizers, health and fitness, or my friend's charity fundraisers. Okay, why? Why is this guy who's talking about business class talking about appetizers? Those two don't seem the same at all. Well, I'll tell you why. Because when I was a kid, we never could afford appetizers. Right. So we would eat out with a coupon once every six to eight weeks. And when I grew up and now I can afford appetizers, I go, this feels Amazing. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. I see two appetizers. I'm going to get them both. Now, what does get it cost Get one for me? the other table too. Right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it costs me like nothing, but, right. but it feels incredibly rich mm-hmm. to me. We all have something like that in our mm-hmm. life where financially speaking, it might not be that big of a deal, but it mm-hmm. feels incredible to be able to tip a huge amount, to be able to buy your friends a round of drinks, whatever it may be. And then as I continue going on my money rules, um, one of them, I would argue maybe the most important is marry the right person. Mm -hmm. That is a profound decision. And it's funny because that one gets most of the questions like, like, why is that on this list of money rules? I go, don't you think your partner has a huge influence on your finances? Mm -hmm. The way that they think about money, the way they behave with money, 
are they willing to be a partner or are they simply following what you say? Mm -hmm. So these are my money rules. I have a blog post where I show you how to create your money rules, but I would love everyone to have a list of money rules that the more you write them down, the more they actually start to become bewildering to the outside world because they are so personalized to mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm. That's when you know you've got a great set of money rules. Yeah. I love it. It's like if you're getting any kind of pushback from people who have fixed mindsets, you may be on the right track. <laughs> yeah. You, you may be doing something people go, right. Yeah. People go, Tulum, isn't that dangerous? You go, oh, no. thank yeah. you for your feedback. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll send you a postcard from Tulum to let it, it, you know. <laughs> exactly. Or better yet, be in a position to where you can take them. Yeah. Oh, well. That's, yeah. that's one of that's my. That's the best. Yeah, you know, travel is like way up. That, that was the reason I asked you about your 10 year plans is that we did that on our 10 year anniversary. We went on a huge, we did it. Where'd you go? Oh, oh man. Okay. Hold on. We had three kids at the time. Our youngest was like a baby and we okay. dropped her. We dropped all three off at his family in South Carolina. So they on could the have Coast. time with the kids. Mm -hmm. And for 21 days, wow. we went to, well, our friend was getting married in Spain. So wow. we were like, okay, we got to get to Spain. I guess we should also go to Iceland, Ireland, Scotland, Paris, Belgium, Morocco, where else? France. Oh my Portugal. God. I mean, we went everywhere we could go and we basically backpacked. And, but again, this was as, you know, we had been married 10 years. We had three children already, all of our kids, we'd already had them all. And we're like, that, so I think that was one of the biggest, like we're making a vote with our dollars yeah. to change our like how we do life with mm -hmm. what, what we spend our money on. And it was a huge, like everyone was like, you are crazy. I'm like, no, we're not. What? <laughs> can I just, can I extract a couple of things that I'm curious to, did you mm -hmm. get any pushback as a mom leaving your kids for three weeks? Absolutely. Yeah. Everyone, you should do say? that. That's not nice that they're going to, are you sure that's going to be okay for your kids? Yeah. Luckily we have really supportive family and his parents don't get to see the kids often. So his mom was like, yeah, go ahead. See you all. See you later. Mm -hmm. yeah. Like, I don't care. Come back whenever. Um, but yeah, the, lots of friends saying, and they just tell you all the bad things that have happened. They've read, I read a story once yeah. where a family did that and everyone died. So, so you know, like is, as a mom, yeah, go ahead. It's, it's a, first of all, what a trip, like amazing. And the fact that the two of you did this together and obviously were intentional because you don't end up in all those countries without being intentional. That is amazing. You had three children, which, you know, uh, I remember a friend of mine, he took his um, two kids. They went to Italy, young, young. Mm -hmm. uh, and I said, how'd you do it? You know, it's kind of uncommon. And he said, you know, where they were living in New York. He said, um, some of the parents around them said, I won't even take my kids to the Italian restaurant down the street, much less to Italy. So, so my wife and I were so impressed and so inspired by hearing stories like mm -hmm. yours. It can be done. You yes. can take your kids with you. You can find childcare if you're fortunate enough to have parents mm -hmm. and others. Amazing. But what I find even more inspiring is that you inevitably had to encounter people saying things because mm -hmm. the world wants us to be vanilla, right? The world wants us to be vanilla. And the minute we are, they abandon us. Mm. They want me to be vanilla on my social media and, and be really boring. Okay. Here's five ways to save money. Number one, disable your oven light. You could save 11 cents per year. I go, <laughs> I would rather be dead than talk about my oven light and saving three cents on your lattes. No. Right. So I talk about earning money and I talk about how to have love and money. And I talk about even spending a ton on stuff you love. Now that's not for everybody. Mm -hmm. In your case, you made this amazing, inspiring decision. So just one question for you. Do you ever regret the three week trip that you took? No, no, absolutely not. In, in fact, two, two things uh, about the, the, the thing that you said, like people, when you're vanilla, people abandon you. Mm -hmm. And that is true. And I want every listener to think about who is your favorite artist in any form? Who's your favorite sports player? Who's your favorite uh, motivational speaker? Who's your favorite podcaster? Are they boring and vanilla and did everything else like anybody in the world? Right. Do, you no. follow, do you follow them for what they don't do? For That's why you stay. like them. Right. That's why you go, oh, that guy, that gal, she is inspirational because they're doing stuff differently. Right. So yeah. people, come on, let's get, let's get real. So going, so no, we don't regret one single day mm -mm. of when we were gone or any of the money we spent. And that, because we went, we paved the way mm -hmm. for our three kids to later go. Because we went oh back. We didn't, we didn't do yeah. like a million countries and stuff. 
But we, we took also his ninety-year-old took... grandmother back to England, where she was born, yeah. for her birthday with our three wow. children. Our youngest was five mm-hmm. at the time, and everyone before we went, everyone said, "That's crazy. That's bad. That's going to be hard. Are you sure you want to do that? You're really going to do that? You're going to rent a car? You're going to drive?" But the second we got back, that's they amazing. Yeah, yeah. Man, tell and us it was about like, it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, everyone didn't want us to go until we went, and they went, "How'd you do it?" That's 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 it. So, um, for everybody listening. It's not about you taking a three-week trip. It's not about buying an expensive coat. It's about you intentionally deciding what your rich life is and then figuring out how to unapologetically live it. Mm-hmm. If you love getting a farmer's market apples every Sunday and that's what you want to spend $100 on <laughs> and you can afford it, do it. Mm-hmm. If you want to send your children to a special school and you can afford it, and it's important to you, do it. Over time, people will find it very appealing that you have your own set of money rules. And in a couple, the opinion that matters is your partners. Mm-hmm. That matters most. Everyone will always have an opinion about what you shouldn't do. And again, if you follow them, you'll typically end up a very vanilla lifestyle. Mm-hmm. If that's what you want, Fantastic. Some people do want, they, they don't want to travel. Okay. Mm-hmm. But I always ask people, what's your money dial? What is that thing you love to spend money on? And the answers are quite revealing. They're almost always the same. The first is eating out. Second one is travel. The third is health and wellness. The fourth is convenience. And then after that, there's a variety of other ones. So what I do with people in that exercise is I ask them, what if you could quadruple your spending on that thing? Mm-hmm. And they, they, they look confused. And they always say the same kind of PG rated joke. Ha ha. They go, huh, I'd probably have to go on a diet because I eat out four times a week. Ha ha ha. And I go, ha ha ha. Okay. And then I go, now really, what? You're really just going to eat at Chipotle four times a week instead of one? <laughs> Might you eat somewhere else? Might right. you potentially bring your family with you? Like, can we think multi dimensionally here? And so this money dial allows people to figure out what they love. Everyone has one money. That's very intuitive and instinctive. And then to say, gosh, what if we spent more? What would it look like if eating out is your thing? Totally fine. I have no judgment. I love it. Maybe you might eat at a different type of restaurant once a year for your anniversary. Maybe for your five-year anniversary, you might take uh, your wife or husband or partner to Italy and go shopping at a farmer's market with an Italian chef and then cook the food together. Gosh, Mm. wouldn't that be special? Isn't that worth talking about? To me, this is the rich life. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Well, I want to be respectful of your time. And this has like exceeded any kind of expectation. I knew knew it was going to be different and super fun because you take such a different view than all the other money people out there. And I'm not throwing shade or anything. I just love how much you talk about like, Go freaking buy a latte. Like knock it off with the The, the $3 questions in life. You know, people are obsessed with $3 questions. They really should be asking $30,000 questions. And they feel comfortable in the weeds. That's why they feel comfortable fighting about Target. But when I look at their finances, I go, it's not the Target that is affecting anything. An extra 50 bucks or 100 bucks is irrelevant. And they look at me like no one has ever told them that because they're middle-class families who also agonized over Target, told them, we need to not spend too much and like live small. But I tell them, you know what? You've both increased your earnings. You don't, you're you're investing a little bit. You could probably turn that up a bit. But I tell them, you know what? I think it's a tragedy to live a smaller life than you have to. Mm -hmm. To go through the rest of your life worrying about $15 at Target, when you could, if you properly invested, you could travel, you could eat out, You could treat your children to adventures. You could have millions in the bank for many couples, but you have to get competent with money and you have to master your money psychology. Those two Mm -hmm. things and you're on your way to a rich life. I love it, it, man. So tell all of our listeners where they can go to see all your stuff. I'm going to dig way deeper and actually do these assessments and stuff. And I want our listeners to as well. Good. I I hope that the two of you do it. And I hope both of you listen to a couple of episodes of the I Will Teach You To Be Rich podcast together. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. Anyone who's listening and you do that, if you're in the car, take a picture, tag me on Instagram or on TikTok. Show me 
the type of conversations that you have, boy, it's amazing. Instead of looking at each other and kind of saying, like berating each other about some spending at the grocery store, this is an opportunity to listen to another couple and say, gosh, what do you think about that? Would I do that? Would you do that? What do you think about, should we do that? So that's number one, you can listen to my podcast. Number two, you can follow me at IWT.com. That's where my newsletter is, a lot of my best material there. And of course, a couple of books. I have the I Will Teach You To Be Rich book and the accompanying journal, which you can find at any bookstore, most libraries. And I would encourage you, start wherever it feels right. Any place in my community is going to get you one step closer to your rich life, and then we can help you take the, take you the rest of the way there. I, I love it, man. I'm newly inspired. And I love your podcast, too, because you're so curious. It's like listening to a therapist interview people about money, which is really, really, it's, it's right up my alley. Thank so, you. okay, one last question. What is bringing you jazz right now? I don't care if it's a McDonald's, I don't know, the McRib is back, or <laughs> your, you know, your, your big trip or whatever. Like, what is just bringing you Real curiosity, real, real jazz. My wife and I used to live in New York. That's where we met. And we moved to LA a little while ago. And at the end of last year, we were on our annual Rich Life Review. And we were just walking. And we said, you know, we've talked about going back to New York for a long time. Let's do it. Let's make 2022 the year that we do it. So we put a stake in the ground. We picked a month. And we said, look, if things change, they change. But let's go back. And we went back for a month. And uh, we had a blast. And at the end of the month, we looked at each other. And it was like, when you and your partner are on the same page, and you don't even have to say anything. And we looked and we said, you know, I feel like we should stay a little longer. And they were like, yeah, both of us felt it. We stayed an extra month. We were fortunate enough to be able to do that. And at the end of that, we said, let's make this a regular thing. Let's, let's come back to New York every so often. We'll spend time here. We have family there. We have friends. And that is getting me excited that we are able to continue talking about and developing our rich life together. Mm-hmm. Awesome. That's so fun. I love it. What different cities to, I mean, New York to LA, that's, they're very different. Oh, yeah. <laughs> to like live <laughs> in, are. I can't, those are not similar. Yeah. <laughs> so you guys go follow Ramit and anything that he does. This has been uh, an honor and uh, super cool to talk yeah. to you. So thank you so much, man, for taking the time. We really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. Thank you thank both. Thank you so much. All right, man. All take right. care. Talk to you later. Boom. You guys, did you learn a ton about money? We did. And Ramit also sent us uh, extra copy of the book and the money journal I will teach you to be rich the journal no complicated math just uh, no more procrastinating design your rich life today and we're going to do it we're going to do it together we're going to yeah. get rich excited about it mm-hmm. alright go check it out go follow him go get his book and his journal and have an amazing day alright bye thanks for listening to Anatomy of Us this podcast is produced by my mom Melanie Studley and hosted by my dad, Seth Studley. Our show is edited and published by our producer, Reva Hansen, from Creative Media Support. Special thanks to our Patreon members that get an extra episode every week. Thanks for watching. Love you. Bye.